Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How's it going today, Anthony? It's going great. I uh, I have very few complaints most of the time, so I, it's going well. That's good. That's good. Grass is getting green and... Don't remind trees. me. Yeah, yeah. Things are things are coming around, buddy. Yeah. And you know what else? It's the month of May. That means yeah, that it's my bu- favorite month. It's it's a fun fun month for racing for sure. Stuff's starting to get going. It's and- my birthday month. Oh yeah, you you celebrate the whole month like a seventeen yeah. year old girl, <laughs> or maybe nineteen year old girl. That's right. She can party. Ooh, That's it's right. Birthday month. It's a party. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for taking it there. Um, yeah. No, uh, I, I wanted you, to... Yeah, you start, I finish. Yeah, I, yeah, that was that was on me. Uh, no, I wanted to chat a bit on uh, on a racing legend who passed away this week, uh, Bobby Unser. You uh, mm-hmm. you know much about his career? You know, when I, I saw the uh, the article about it, I, I recognized the name. But, of course, his racing was before my time. But I know the family name. So, you know, I was, I was saddened, um, but you know, 87, man, a lot of these race car drivers, they sure make it to really old ages. I've noticed. a. a yeah. Well, I actually, I have a theory about, uh, Mario Andretti and it's, uh, it's kind of sad. I think that he, he cheated death a few times in the, in the sixties and seventies and, uh, and he, you know, had the worst luck in the world at the brickyard. I think he made a deal with God. To, to get to win the Indy 500 and he won it in 1969. And then they were just like snake bitten at that place forever, ever since. Mm. And, uh, and the poor guy has just had to watch so many people close to him pass. And he's, he's still doing great. He's still got his health and he's still going to be around for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bobby Unser was part of the, one of the storylines or one of the times, uh, uh, you know, some people say Andretti got robbed in uh, in 1981. Bobby Unser had a really quick car. He was driving for Roger Penske, and uh, they he led 89 laps in the race, and he was he was pretty comfortable up front. And there was a, a yellow flag, and he came to go on pit road, and none of the cars ahead of him were going to pit, so he just pulled down and passed a bunch of them and drove down on the pit road and passed like eight or nine cars. Mind you, Mario did the same thing. He passed two cars, mm. but uh, passed a bunch of cars, but then went into the pit. So they all passed him back. And he was following the pit road speed limit. I don't think there was one, but he didn't break it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so he wins, he crosses the line first, he wins the race. And then after there's a protest that gets lodged saying that uh, he passed all those cars under yellow and he shouldn't have. And that was, that was wrong. And then, so the next day they said that Mario was the winner and then they had to go fight it in court. And eventually it was deemed that the rule wasn't clear enough and they, they, they needed to clarify things and that Bobby Unser was actually the winner. And uh, it was amazing. These two guys had a, they, they held a grudge about it. They were bitter about it until 2017. They were finally talking again. It, it's quite uh, it was pretty wild that these guys, you know, that, to get that Borg Warner trophy, that's how much it means mm-hmm. to them. But no, the, the family's incredible. They're uh, from Albuquerque uh, and they're racing all over the Southwest. 
and uh, you know between Al and Bobby, uh, and then Al Junior, uh, Al's son. Between them, they have nine Indy five hundred wins, which it's is crazy. just that's that's something that between a pretty good group of guys. That's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, but uh, there was a couple of cool things that I, I I just read about him. One one that was kind of funny. He so Bobby retired from driving pretty suddenly in the eighties, and uh, then he tried to run his own team. And after that, he says, "You know, when I was driving, I didn't think I was that good of a driver. Uh, I, I thought there were other guys that were definitely better wheelmen than me. I didn't realize how good I was until I quit because I prepared some really nice race cars, and the guys driving them just weren't even close to fast mm-hmm. enough." <laughs> So that was when I actually appreciated how good I I, I actually yeah. was in the in the seat, which uh, I could picture an angry old man thinking, "Gone, yeah. you can go faster <laughs> than that." <laughs> and you know, it's it's funny you mention that because I remember um, this is an exact story, but when when you talk about you know subpar drivers in good equipment or good setups in general, um, I remember when the FedEx car that Denny Hamlin the team that he got in on before he got in that car or when he started racing at that tier. Cause I don't know where he swapped around between team owners and all that since then. But I remember that number 11 had a hard time. They were finishing like 25th, 28th, 30th. They had Jason Leffler was in on that crew for a while and he wasn't able to do it. And then they kept swapping drivers every four or five races. And, and to be honest, I don't even remember the names of some of these drivers. Jason Leffler mm-hmm. was the big one that was in that FedEx number 11. And that team was just for some reason, like they had the money, they were doing like all the right things, but they just couldn't get a driver that was doing well. Yeah. I think they had five different drivers in one season and they never finished better than 24th. And this is a decade or more ago. I don't know how long Denny's been in that car, but when Denny Hamlin went in there, I think he won or like all of a sudden that car was in like the top 10 consistently and then all of a sudden denny's winning and then denny basically is now like considered one of the best drivers out there right now and it just it was one of those prime i feel one of those examples (laughs) of where you can have a great setup and great equipment but you need the right driver and in the case of this little story that i remember maybe i don't remember it exactly but um, that that team was going through all sorts of drivers and not being very successful until Denny Hamlin showed up, and things have been turned around since. Those uh, those could be fighting words, you know, in the in the memory of Jason Leffler. <laughs> There's a lot of people who I think it was one of those uh, one of those situations where things just didn't click. Yeah, I think that Leffler was a lot better of a driver than he did there. Uh, I, I seem to remember there were issues with them starting up that third car because Gibbs had been a two-car team for, for a long time. Yeah. And uh, there was just, you know, they didn't they didn't rob their good guys from the 18 and the 20 car. They uh, they just started a new team and they, you know, the, the crew behind it and the team behind it and they let them do their own thing and they weren't experienced enough to know. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing a little bit more behind the scenes than that, but... It, it, to your point, though, it, it's it's got to be a whole package yeah. deal, right? You can't you can't outdrive bad equipment, and uh, you can't you can't put a slow guy in a fast car and and be blinding quick. It's it's all got to come together. Um, yeah. No, one more uh, one more Bobby answer thing here, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, so when they were running 
down in the Southwest, you'd race super modified sprint cars, stuff like that on the dirt all over the place, California, New Mexico, Arizona. And uh, back then, the big event for them to go run was the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, mm. which he ended up winning the thing like 13 times, like six wow. in a row at one point. But uh, his advantage to that was they would uh, they would make their own tires. They would huh. there were people around who they could get them to uh, to make them rubber, and they would retread old tires. And, uh, and they tried everything to make their tires better. They tried crushing up old car batteries. And then they were actually the first guys to do the, uh, the walnut shells into the tire. Uh, you know, I think Toyo or somebody has just been advertising that they do that here just recently. But mm-hmm. Unser's were doing that back in the 50s and 60s. Wow. And uh, then they made the, the, the people running the event made uh, retreads illegal. They said they weren't safe. Uh, so they he ended up picking up the phone and phoning Goodyear Tire Company, just asking like, "I need to talk to somebody about tires." And this is before he's been Andy. Like he has, he's nobody yeah. at this time. And he just says, "I need to uh, talk to somebody about tires." So they put him on the phone with some engineer, and he got the engineer's interest right away. And they started working together, and uh, he sent him a bunch of uh, tests and like test pieces and test tires and. Right. He, uh, they had a, a piece of property big enough. He had just kind of carved out a little track. He would put enough water down to keep the dust down and go and test tires on his own. And uh, right. that was how they maintained that advantage and, and, and did so well there. Despite being terrified of heights, which <laughs> that race is insane, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you can, yeah, it's just you can fall a thousand climb. feet off some of those cliffs. Yeah. And you're dead. Like there's no coming back from that. And, yeah. uh, but he, he just, Learn to focus on the road and not where he didn't want to go, huh. and uh, and use that to propel him into uh, you know back then it was a USAC series and get into Indy and made himself an American racing legend. So it's pretty cool and uh, yeah, rest yeah. in peace to a great one. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of great ones, got a great one on tap for you guys here. You want to get into it? Always, let's do it. Our next guest on Bench Racing Radio is a journeyman of the four-cylinder class, racing in it since 2001, and he's been involved in racing in multiple tracks. He's been a driver rep. He's picked up championships. He's won features. He's done it all. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jim Mulholland. How's it going, Jim? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We. Uh, How are you guys doing? We're doing all right, man. It's uh, It's crazy times, but we're... We're, uh, you know, getting by and, and, and doing this helps uh, pass the time and, and catch up with some racers when we can't be at the track and see each other, you know? Yeah, I've uh, I've enjoyed listening to pretty much everyone that you've put out since, what, the beginning of uh, January? Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife enjoyed it because I just put the uh, headphones on and I start cleaning. <laughs> so, there you go. Busy for at least an hour, depending yeah. on your guest. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. We're winning. We're scoring points with the wife. And you're yeah. you're getting entertained. This is win win. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> right on. So yeah, tell us about uh, about how you got started in the in racing. Like when when's the first time you remember ever going out to the speedway? Uh, probably five years before I even started racing. I think we did about four years of an uh, full size enduro car uh, when I worked at uh, Goodyear. 
Uh, one of the guys there was helping and pitting for uh, Ernie Gruen, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. He was running a sprint car back in late late 90s, I guess. And uh, he talked to the boss into building one. So uh, as soon as he started building one, many, many late hours. So we did that for about four seasons until uh, uh, until the tide of turning was uh, when Larry Nebel uh, introduced these force on their class at one of the driver's meeting in fall. And I said, what a waste of time that's going to be. They're going to be so slow. <laughs> <clears throat> then the uh, first enduro race, I, uh, we had the car already. We headed out. And it was like, okay, now we got to wait for these four cylinders to be done. And uh, they did uh, 50 laps one way, 50 laps the other. So we, uh, there's no setting up cars back then. There's run what you've run pretty much. Uh, <laughs> talking to, uh, listening to your brother's uh, crisscross. Well, that's what we did. I put my hockey shoulder pads on. We uh, took the passenger seat belt attached to the roll cage and went out racing. Um, uh, but that, that first enduro was... Uh, my mouth was just, my jaw was dropped. It was like, okay, here they go. Off the rev limiter. Here they go. When are they going to blow? And then the race ended. And I'm <laughs> so like, it, was, it, it wow. drew you in a lot better than you thought it was going to. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. okay. So I uh, had got home. My father-in-law was up in the stands watching because uh, I was down in the pits. And he goes, well, your aunt's got a trailer in Brandon that she only uses for snowmobiles. And it's a car hauler. She used to use it at Red Lake. Well, let's phone and see what we uh, if we can use it. She so picked up the phone, phoned her. Oh, yeah, you can have it all summer. Perfect. Well, okay, there's one. I have a truck. Now we need a car. So I walked. Uh, I was working at Goodyear and Regent and Autolist of Canada. I'm sure people have heard of that place. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I walked into Paul's office and I go, how would you like to sponsor me a car? One of your beaters in the back. So he handed me a small probably about a hundred keys that they had trade-ins in the back. He goes, you go to look at them and let me know which one you want. So uh, I took the keys and a booster pack with me and I fired them up and uh, bounced them off the rev limiter and said, Hey, this one's good. It's not knocking. <laughs> uh, so I gave him a choice of five cars and he ended up giving me a Nissan Stanza. So uh, that was my first, there was 1987 Nissan Stanza. So that was my first, uh, first race car. We uh, boarded the R-plate, took it for a drive down uh, Regent, and first, second, third worked, reverse worked, and we were good to go. So now we just had to strip it. So first thing that came off was the, the exhaust, gave it a once over at the uh, on the hoist, and then took it home and started stripping it that night. Wow. And then th- three weeks later, we were at the Enduro, so we, uh, with the uh, help of the guys at the shop, they gave us a hand bending a cage and getting it set up, and then... Uh, sold my uh, 1980 Trans Am that I had planned on uh, uh, fixing up. So I sold that and then did an engine job for a guy, bought my first welder, and then we started getting into it. <laughs> so three weeks later, we were at the racetrack with a built car, brought my shoulder pads, we uh, my hockey shoulder pads, because there's like, if I get hit, this is going to hurt. <laughs> so <laughs> we had the crisscross seats with the factory seat. And we hit the track, and uh, that first season, I believe we got fifth or sixth overall. And there was 50 cars out there, 50 to 55 cars on the first track. This car was uh, it was an automatic. It was gutless, but it, I hopped in it, put it right to the floor, and held it there the whole race. 
<laughs> there's no power, but the guys in the little Honda Civics and all these other cars were flying by me down the straightaway. Then I'd pass them in the corner. Right. <laughs> They'd bounce off me in the corner. So uh, that was my first, uh, I got out and I'm like, this is like driving a go-kart. You just hit people and you just keep going. So <laughs> it was uh, so, something else altogether. But wow. uh, uh, I think at that moment I was hooked. Uh, I got into it just when my girl was four months old. So my first kid. So I didn't get into racing before you have kids because uh, if you have kids after you start racing, it, it gets a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, oh, that's, yeah. that's crazy. So that was how I got into it. Back in the old, uh, the, the 50 laps one way, 50 laps the other way, I forgot they used to do that. That, uh, oh, yeah. that didn't yeah. last too long, though, did it? It lasted until the end of the season. Right. Until they found out how fast we the cars were making lap times, I think. Right. I think somebody took a stopwatch out and said, hey, you know what? Our f- I think it was Larry ne- Nebo. He goes, yeah, I don't think we can do that anymore. If not, I got to build my fence so we can turn left and right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was after a couple guys went off the front guardrail a few times. Right. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, we better just turn you the other way. <laughs> That's and nice. then we could start uh, staggering the tires and right. uh, rubber blocks. And my, my first set of struts that I ever did, I actually drilled holes and added oil and a uh, grease nipple because it started getting bouncy and just uh, used hydraulic fluid and got them going again. <laughs> <laughs> So it was cheap, cheap racing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it it was a great beginner class because yeah, you could, you could get going with just a really affordable car and and get out there and turn some laps and and big fields, you know, like you're saying 50 cars. It's crazy. Like that. It was crazy. To get that kind of, that many people out, it was, uh, it was something. They were, they were definitely onto something. Yeah. I remember talking to Larry uh, Nebo. And he's like, I brought this class in to bring some money in the back gate. And after listening to your brother, uh, <laughs> he's like, I know. Uh, <laughs> we, we went from uh, running uh, once a month to uh, the next year we ran once a month. And then we were, uh, I think we had a couple of Thursday specials. And I think that year we started running every Thursday too. So then I built another car. I'd use the uh, one car for Saturdays and the other car for Thursdays, which is a really bad idea. Right, <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's double the work. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It yeah, sounds like a great idea because you know it was know. it was a great idea. <laughs> but yeah, it was a great idea. Except uh, I was the guy wrenching on it and fixing it after working <laughs> eight to ten hours in the shop and then coming home and going at her again. So. <laughs> Wild. But the kids so... Were, I, yeah, I I only started working on the car usually about eight thirty or nine when when uh, we were putting the kids down. Uh, over the years so right. worked from nine o'clock eight thirty till about one or two in the morning and then <laughs> who needs I sleep little, yeah i was a little younger that's 20 years ago uh, i was a little younger back then yeah, yeah. <laughs> so most of us were <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so over the years uh, how many different cars have you built Okay, so my first car, uh, Nissan. So remember that name, Nissan Stanza, nineteen eighty-seven, um, and it was just a dog. It was a little slow. Uh, then I uh, walked back over to my first sponsor and I said, "What other cars you got?" So <laughs> he handed me the keys to a nineteen ninety-one wagon, Isuzu Impulse. 
<laughs> I'm like, what the heck is this thing? And for those that don't know what Isuzu Impulse is, it was similar to a Geostorm. Right. And uh, it was a twin cam standard. So it was like, hey, this is pretty good. So we uh, took that out for, uh, I think, the Nissan, the stands I ran for, I think, three years just for Enduros. And then the Isuzu uh, was just my Thursday night, uh, Thursday night car. Right. So I had that one, had that one for a few years till, uh, let's see, Alan Hildebrandt cracked into me. He was 01. That was the Home Depot car back in the second year out or third year out. And uh, there was near the uh, end of, the, I think it was the last race of the year. I got hit four times going into corner one. And that thing was dog tracking about eight to 10 inches in the back because it twisted the frame. <laughs> and so it cornered beautiful, but there's a yeah. handful coming out of the corner. <laughs> but it, you went into the corner, you could just hold that thing pinned and come out of the corner. You just have to lift and then get on the gas again because uh, it was coming around. So we assessed <laughs> the damage. You're yeah, going too wide by yourself all the time. I was, yeah. Uh, my Actually, my father-in-law, for the first few years, he goes, Jim, if you could just drive that car straight instead of sideways through every corner, I think you're doing twice the mileage as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that was my second car, and then we replaced it with another. So you, once you buy a car, then you're in uh, – that was back in the paper buy and sell and looking for uh, auto pack right off, so – yeah. I had, at the time, we built up, uh, I think uh, Napa had uh, given me a hand and uh, allowed me to store some cars. Uh, I knew the uh, the manager there, and he said, yeah, you can keep a couple cars in. Well, by the time he was done that spring, I think I had nine part cars in the back. <laughs> he goes, yeah, no more. He, he, took, yeah, he said, okay, you got to clear this out. I'm like, well, they must have had babies. I don't know what happened. <laughs> He's multiplying so he right here. Yeah, so in in these 20 years of racing, I've never actually opened an engine up. I just take another junkyard motor and throw it in. Hmm. And that's – now, I haven't won a, a whole lot of races. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm definitely in the top five from week to week. Yeah. So that's when I was racing. So so we had another Isuzu after that, and that turned into an electrical demon. Oh, yes. I had one of those. <laughs> Yeah, not, a, not an Isuzu, but an electrical demon car. Yeah, yeah. so we, we chased that for about a year and then uh, parked it and built another one. And uh, that was, uh, so both of my Isuzu were 1.6, so that's when the GT, uh, Escort GTs came out. And right. uh, it was like, okay, and my father-in-law was always after me, do a compression test, do a compression test. So, okay, I'll do a compression test. So we picked up this one from Autopack. I think we got it for... $350. The thing was just mint. I should have fixed it and sold it and made some money, but I figured, hey, this thing has no rust on it. Let's build it. Right? Who who thinks about making money on cars? Yeah, that's stupid. That's just ridiculous. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, I did a I did a compression test on that car and there's 200 across the board. So, hmm. we built it and got a nice paint job on it. And it was really done nicely it lasted four laps i had i think i had your brother beside me or one of the mccrays and i pulled them down the straightaway i'm like this is really cool and then yeah. it got quiet oh <laughs> so i'm like huh. and dale McEwen's in the tower just screaming at me get off the track you blew your engine i'm like 
Oh, that's why the engine light's on. <laughs> I'll have to check that. <laughs> <laughs> so I rolled out. I've never broken anything. My cars have always made it through Enduros. Very rare does my car knock on wood. <laughs> uh, usually they run the whole time. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's quite amazing my luck that I've had. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we pulled it in and the rod went through the front and the back, killed the starter, killed the rad. So Oof. that night we got back to the shop and uh, dropped the engine out, pushed the other parts car in, pulled that engine out. And then Sunday we had it running again. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then right. that, that engine probably went in probably for another four years. It just oh. kept going. So, okay, uh, so that was that car that I would remember you running, right? Yeah, that was the, little... that was, uh, let's see, you go back to the announcer's tower. Uh, uh, first off, the, right from year one, uh, Pat, uh, Pat Mooney and uh, I can't think of his name right now. Darren Fallon. Darren Fallon. They couldn't spell uh, say my last name for the life of me. I'm not sure why. So uh, we came up with the name Mule Racing because there's Jim Mueller, Jim Muland. It was uh, <laughs> quite quite funny over the years. So the girls that were doing uh, lap counting, there's like, you should just name your race team Mule Racing. So that's kind of what stuck for many years. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of jackasses racing. But <laughs> so yeah. uh, uh, where was I going? So that that car is probably the one you remember the most because I had uh, a good good run on isuzus i didn't and after i got into it for a few years with these escort gts taking over and kind of dominating i said i'm not driving an escort i'm not driving a car that they can recognize if the announcers can recognize the car and know what make and model it is good luck because they they guessed for probably for the first three or four seasons of <laughs> what i was racing you just um, liked having something different i i always have so uh and then, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Mark and Al, uh, 17X, they ran a truck for a while. Um, they had a Nissan NX2000, which I'm currently running now. They they moved up the truck, so they had blown their motor, and they gave me the car. So uh, in 2007, that's uh, kind of was my finishing feat of Isuzu's. <laughs> right. Now, in these years, uh, not only just racing here, uh, we went up to in that uh, probably ten year span, and uh, you guys know the friends you friends and family because they turn the family the friends that you meet at these tracks. So we traveled as groups. We had uh, we went to Lake Bronson. We were down in Greenbush. We were up at uh, Swan River, uh, and then Mike Wenham and I uh, he found us uh, the Wisconsin race two hundred laps or ten thousand dollars to win. So we did that three years in a row. McCray's came down uh, one one or two years, I believe. And uh, the first year I went out, I, uh, there's 100 cars on the track. And uh, <laughs> I went out, I got 15th. I got a flat tire and a stop and go penalty because uh, I passed the stop cars under a red flag. Right. I was just trying to. And the second year, it was Mike's turn. He got second. McCray's got third. And then we showed up the third year that. It's, if you show up with the same color scheme and same number and same car, never do that to a big ticket race. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I made it 17 laps and got a, uh, and that year we had 130 cars on the track. Wow. And 17 laps in, car number 17, right? Uh, I got in a 42 car pile up in the straightaway. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing about that because this is yeah. at Cedar Lake, right? 
This is that Cedar Lake, yeah. Yeah, and it was just and, like that scene in Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where the cars just keep piling in. And yep. the guys hooting and hollering, having a great time. I'm like, what are you guys thinking? Didn't you see the two cars in front of me that I hit? Oh, yeah. wait, that's why you hit me 20 times that I felt. Right. <laughs> so we left that car there, and I'm like, well, I got this Nissan sitting here. So we so that was 2007. So uh, this is when we were allowed team drivers. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had signed up my buddy because uh, uh, it's a long story here. So just stay with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All good. Um, uh, 2007, uh, I was going into the uh, final race at the same time in Winnipeg when we were in Cedar Lake. So I had a friend drive as my backup driver. And Doug Crouch was six points ahead of me at the time. Well, his right front knuckle broke. And then uh, Pete Zenner, who was racing the car that night, I think he got sixth or eighth place with the car. And I actually got track championship as I rode a car off in Cedar Lake. Uh, (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) We took Mike Wenham's car because he's like, I don't want to wreck your car, Jim. And I'm like, well, I apologize. (laughs) But I just, uh, we didn't even bring it home on the trailer. It was so twisted. Oh, you just Uh, left it there? We left it there because there's no way to actually back across the border. You can physically on. fit well, it onto the trailer. <laughs> we we could have we would have had to get it uh, lifted on, yeah. but to tie strap it down, like to get the tires, like we I actually saved the tires, <laughs> and the rims. I'm still using those rims now in the Nissan. But uh, Mike's a big guy. He actually just leaned on the back of the car and the front end lifted up, just so we could pull the wheels off because we couldn't get a jack underneath it. So we uh, took a bunch of pictures, and this is before uh, all digital, so we went to Walmart and printed off a book so we could get through the border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't sell the car. Yeah, we, we didn't wrecked sell the car. it so we bad, left we left there. it there. there. Yeah, so we had uh, chains and tie straps holding all the spare tires, and uh, we found a crate in the pit to put all the extra parts in, and we filled the back of the, his van up and uh, pulled the gas out so we, and put it in the van into jerry cans. Because there's a full tank of gas, and you know you gotta you gotta save money somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you put that in the truck to get home. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that uh, uh, so that was in September. So over the winter, uh, we got this. We got an engine for the Nissan uh, NX2000, and we put that in and got it ready for spring. And they said, "Okay, here, Mike, uh, should be running. Let's go test it out." So we went to the first enduro. I was in my Isuzu, uh, or Asuna Sunfire at the time, same, same, pretty much the same car. And mm-hmm. he came out testing it, uh, and uh, he lapped me probably three times with it in that enduro. Ooh. And and uh, he led the whole thing from start to finish, and then uh, uh, got taken out in a la- on the last lap. And they said that uh, just on it, well, actually, he got hit and destroyed the other guy's car. Mm. Uh, and they put him in second and the other guy in first. <laughs> Wow. So it was like, hmm, we better go find another one. Yeah, we need more of these. <laughs> because there I always pick a car that you can just drive downtown and go to car lot and they'll have them. Right. Yeah, no. No. Yeah, no. You can't find Isuzu's, you can't find Nissan's. No. Yeah, I was gonna say, like there was yeah. one point, even the the escorts, just because they were popular, uh yeah, there was there was one point trying to find a escort GT uh, like standard transmission. Yeah. Uh, they were two door, like they were getting really hard to find. Oh, they were. And, and we never actually did it. Okay. Let, let the authorities know that this never actually happened. But at one point, my brother <laughs> and I 
were considering just going and stealing one because <laughs> you couldn't find them. Yeah. And if you saw one that was in good shape, it was worth having. Yeah, and you couldn't and you couldn't compete uh, at the auction with you uh, with your dad and Johnny McRae bidding on these things. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, no, because they were worth like you, you know you get a good yeah. one and and you knew you were going to be a front runner, so they were hard yeah. to get your hands on. Now, fortunately, we never had to resort to that. Okay, let me say again for the record, yeah. <laughs> I never our, stole our... a car. <laughs> well, technically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was the first few years. Uh, but lots of fun, lots of lots of stories. Uh, I met, uh, uh, I got to know Mike Demchuk at the beginning there and started the career when he was mm-hmm. uh, 14 years old. I got to know his family, and then he actually came to work with me in the garage uh, out of high school. As, okay. For his work experience, and got to know him pretty good. Then he wrote his S10 off, and I go, you know, McRae's are selling one, so we went and bought that one, and he was racing the next week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so and lot, lots of lots of lifelong friends uh, now he's got three kids he's been married for i'm not good with dates been mar- married a while yeah, some to a, to a, yeah <laughs> he's been married some time just yeah. had his third boy last uh on his birthday no not yeah. on his birthday we'll touch on that uh a little bit more here after the uh, the misfire round but i'll let anthony get going with that part Yes, speaking of some time, we've been some time into this podcast, and so as a result, we are at the misfire round now. I, Based on what you told us, you've listened to almost every single episode up to this point, so you should probably know how the misfire round works. Is that yep. correct, Jim? I can just answer right. the way I want. Yes, and remember, you cannot choose neither neither, and you cannot choose both. You have to pick one. All right, here we go. Number one, barefoot or shoes? Shoes. Number two, yogurt or pudding? Pudding. Number three, pen or pencil? Pencil. I screw up too much. Uh, number four, killer whale or dolphin? Ooh, uh, I would say dolphin. All right. Number five, ebooks or hard copies? <laughs> There's no neither there. What about a nope. good old fashioned movie? Uh, <laughs> hard copies because you can use it for things. You can, right. you can stack stuff up on it. So that nice. that's perfect. Justification. There you go. <laughs> Number six, sandwich cut sandwiches cut in squares or triangles? Triangles. Number seven, ice racing or snowmobiling? Ice racing. Number eight, Mac tools or snap-on? I'm sorry, snap-on guys, but I'm going to pick Mac on this one. All right. Number nine, dry or tacky? Tacky. And number 10, Disney World or Disneyland? Disney World. All right. That is the misfire round. Thanks for playing, Jim. Right on. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a controversial opinion there. I mean, anything when you get to tools, these guys just drink the Kool-Aid. Snap-on's the best. Yep. Or Mac is the best. And they're just so buttoned. Yeah. It's crazy. I've got a mix and Princess Auto and Canadian Tire. Like, whatever has the best deal. That's, that's what a smart like man told warranty. me. What a smart guy told me was build up your toolbox with the cheapest stuff you can get and then start buying the nice stuff. Don't yeah. don't just buy one nice thing at a time because you'll never get a full set of tools and you'll yeah. quit long before that ever happens. Well, so. and, and you lose that 10 mil wrench if it was a $9 wrench or a $40 wrench. Yeah, they still get lost just more. the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it just hurts more when it's 40 bucks for one wrench. Yeah, exactly. But, but they work so nice. They, they, they are very nice, they, yeah. They, yeah, there is a difference, but 
yeah. it, it's hard to justify at times. <laughs> but uh, no, so um, yeah, yeah, you know, we're talking about just that the whole community around racing, and uh, you've built up kind of a whole team of uh, of people that you were associated there with, with you know, this, oh yeah, Demchuk yeah. and uh, and and these other guys. Like, how did you? Uh, how did you keep that going? How involved were you in keeping all those people uh, on track? Well, uh, I kept uh, Mike Demchuk on track right away because uh, uh, pretty much if there's something wrong with his car, I'd just tell his mom and he wouldn't be allowed to be race racing his car. <laughs> now he's moved out. He's married. So if there's something wrong with the car that I see, I just tell his wife and then he's not allowed to race. <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of mentored him i mentored we actually uh Demchuk and i actually ice raced for about five years with that uh one of the isuzus that i put to pasture so we right. did about five years on that um and we were doing that every every uh, couple weeks uh, for january february and then into march um and that's really where you get car handling and driving because uh, uh, I, I remember it's a funny story because my daughter's taking over my car now because I'm just not allowed to do it. I can fix it. I can work on it. But mm-hmm. when it comes to racing, uh, that's Anthony's fault too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that really upped his game as a driver. He was and understanding the maintenance that goes into the car and not just uh, hammer it. Well, he still does. He still leaves it to the last minute before uh getting out there but it drives me nuts i i have to go over the car i won't and i can't just jump in somebody's car and race it unless i've actually jacked it up and checked everything mm-hmm. and that's just a ritual i have is double check triple check and just maintenance 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 just just so you're not losing parts or, or tires or axles or doing everything you can to keep it running. So when it, over that five years of ice racing and then uh, summer racing, his, his you can see him now. He, he's a pretty aggressive and fairly smooth driver from what he used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first race, I probably lapped him on a Thursday night mm-hmm. in the heat two or three times and probably four times in the feature. And if it was wet, I'd probably lap him 10 times. <laughs> But after ice racing, it upped the ante. It and like I, yeah, I, I I walked up to him and like there's lots of good drivers out there. No matter what class you are, you can teach them to a certain point. Mm-hmm. When they hit that certain point, you can't teach them anymore. The it addresses this, his ability as compared to what I can teach him. So yeah, um, it's been so. said. Uh, it's been said you can teach a, a fast driver to stop crashing. <laughs> but you can't teach yeah. a slow driver to become a fast one. You no. know, there's just, there's a hump there that you, you've got to have a knack to get over. You can learn a lot. You can improve a whole bunch, yeah. but yeah. there's that last little bit that a, a racer either has or they don't, you know? Yeah. So Mike Demchuk is kind of right from 14 and I just kind of took him under my wing and uh, best man at his wedding, godfather to his kids. So, like mm. <laughs> that's family. Yeah. Uh, Mike Wenham. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know the name, Dennis Corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was running a super truck at the time and been at the racetrack for years and years before that. Um, <laughs> Mike came to one of those free uh, come to the stands and watch for free, mm-hmm. and he saw these four cylinders racing and then went home, phoned Dennis because I guess they're in neighbors at the time and they knew each other. 
And Dennis goes, I can build your car. Let's put that together. You know, the Dennis, uh, <laughs> Dennis yeah. way. And uh, he picked up a little 88 uh, Honda Prelude. And he goes, well, I got a, we were in the middle and then you had the outside pits. That's where the big boys were, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, go park by Jim Mulholland. I got, and I got to know uh, Dennis uh, back at Goodyear when he had to come over and straighten the frame on the full, uh, full-size car. So yeah. I got to know him a little bit. And he goes, just go find Jim Mulholland. He'll take care of you. <laughs> so he pulled up. Hi, I'm Mike. Dennis said that you'll help me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're best friends since uh, that's uh, probably 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> camping, yeah. like everything. It's, it's just that that's our family, our race family. Right. Yeah. Is both our families watching the kids grow up and he's watching our kids grow up and his kids are all grown up. And now we get to watch Mike Demchuk's kids uh, slowly grow up. I'm going to just throw yeah. that in there. Mm. They can slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the demographics of uh, how we all came to be kind of thing through racing. Like uh, mm. Demchuk married a pure stock girl. Uh, she was getting changed. I'm like, Hey Mike. And then they were dating shortly after that. (laughs) (laughs) And then a few years later they had a kid and getting married. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) you're welcome. (laughs) This is a common trend. We've, we've heard these stories before, I'm sure on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's a pretty neat, uh, turnaround of events. Yeah. And now my daughter's taken over and uh, she won't let me race anymore. So I just get to work on them and I will always test the car out though. Right. As I got yeah. a, I have a neon in the garage that's been sitting there since I left the trade and went, uh, went teaching. So I'm hoping to get that one done this year. Uh, and then I'll take it out and test it out for her just to make sure it's good. And then uh, she can take it over. Then my youngest is 13. So he's uh, raring to get into it next year. Right. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Uh, anybody sponsoring cars, just uh, let me know. <laughs> yeah, it's a great platform. You know, a yeah. good sponsor would be just tow one of the cars there and back. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I got a, I got a question then based on that. How did you how did you finagle a way to race one of the days of the two day show in Kenora last year? How did you manage that one? We were not te- speaking about that. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> no, oh. I, I said, you know, what? it was a two day show and she, she was fairly new at it, but it was like, I'll, I'll take, what, did I race the first day? I can't remember which. I think I raced, raced the first day, and then I go as long as there's a car left, you can race the second. <laughs> as long as there's a car left, <laughs> yeah, it's a veteran move. He took the well, first day I, to make yeah, sure that yeah. he still had a car. <laughs> well, I just uh, you know, you tweak the car and just want to make sure all the bugs are worked out of it. And I think it was yeah. near because of the COVID and everything. It was near the beginning, and it was like I'll shake the cobwebs out and make sure it's good to go. Mm-hmm. So I uh, had her up on three wheels at each corner, and I'm like, yeah, it's good to go. <laughs> And it's never the left front, as you know, Eric. No, I mean, that's that's the way the modifieds do it, but uh, the the four cylinders do it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at the results here because I can, and uh, actually it looks like she ran the first day and you ran day number two. Okay. Maybe that's why I did it, so I didn't destroy the car. There you go. Finished fourth in your race. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Well, why don't we move into our, our next segment here, Jim? Uh, in the driver's seat, five questions. The length of the answer is totally up to you. They can be long, short, and you can answer in any way that you'd like. So here we go with number one. Which driver do you have the most fun racing as, or did, I guess, if you're not turning laps anymore? Uh, do oh, you have the most fun? <laughs> uh, the most fun? Uh, oh, there's so many. Um, <clears throat> well, Demtruck Kraus, for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, going back a couple of years, uh, Rehill. I uh, loved oh, racing Brandon. him in Greenbush. Uh, lots of door-to-door, uh, nose-to-nose, and inches away. I've had some really good races with lots of guys. Mm. Uh, but uh, Doug Krause just trying to get a nice clean pass, which is very hard to do with that man, is uh, trying because <laughs> he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. No. Uh, and when you're trying to get by him and you get by him, it feels so good. How many he, how many he, racing miles does that car have? That thing his, has been out there since at least 2003. It, for the first, uh, yeah, the first Thursdays, he brought it out. It, it was showroom condition when he brought it out. It, <laughs> I, I saw that. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that yeah. car is, like, the paint, like, he didn't even paint it. He just put numbers on it. That red was so red. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, did you just get, out of, get that out of Winnipeg Dodge? Or, like, where'd you get that? And there's so nice, and there's a turbo car too, so it was crazy fast. Yeah. I just couldn't uh, couldn't keep the. What are you uh, talking about, Jim? Like, it's still showroom quality. <laughs> it's 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 been around. It's, it's, it's been turned around. a few laps. Oh yeah. yeah. So he's got so many laps because he was running down in Greenbush uh, for a few seasons, probably five seasons. So he's doing Thursdays and Greenbush. Uh, we <laughs> Hallock too, if you remember that, we were doing thir- yeah. Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays. So that was, uh, it's got a few laps in it. It's been no upside kidding. down once in Greenbush, <laughs> thanks yeah. to Mike Wenham. I'll just throw, <laughs> throw a shout out to Mike Wenham because he was using that Prince's Auto uh, pressure gauge for his right front. Mm. <laughs> and, you didn't uh, read right? Yeah, I was reading about 10 pounds. And, well, that's what was in the right front. And it was saying 32. Perfect. So he yeah. blew, he he was racing every uh, every week uh, on the Saturdays. My kids are young, so I wasn't traveling as much. But uh, he blew four tires on the right front four weeks in a row. And the last time he went a little loose, uh, tagged him and sent him up down upside down on the front straightaway. I think there's a picture of that somewhere oh, yeah. on the internet. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, probably probably those would be my top guys. Uh, like nice. I said, twenty years of racing. There's a lot. Even the mm-hmm. another, I'm not sure what their names are. Those Mustangs down in Greenbush love racing those guys. Mm-hmm. Just love it door to door without touching each other. Front wheel drive, the nice. rear wheel drive. Uh, it's phenomenal racing. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's a good answer. All right, number two. What went through your mind the first time you jumped into the car and started your first race? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> uh, well, that was that first Nissan Stanza. Okay, seat belts are tight. Chin straps done up, green flag, let's go. And I just put it to the floor and like, this is fantastic. And now with that car, uh, they uh, Mooney and them were taking bets of how long it would last because in pure stock, now my background was prepping pure stock. So you always add an extra little bit of oil, an extra liter of oil, because it's always throwing it on a stock pan, throwing it to the right side. So it took 3.8 liters. So I figured, hey, 5.8. 
five liters would be better. So every time it came into the corner, it was smoking like a banshee out the back end. <laughs> and just, you, I'd catch my smoke going to the next corner. So <laughs> I, like, oh, I wonder who's smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I couldn't see it. I guess I had the exhaust back far enough and the wind was moving. I was like, why is it so smoky out here? Yeah, that guy should pull off whoever's causing all that smoke. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and they would clear up down the end of the straightaway and the smoke again. So. It was like, yeah, let's go. And then the first hit, it was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> nice. So, All right, number three, if you went three wide with a lap to go, which spot would you prefer to be in the inside, middle, or outside, and why? Well, I'm going to pause for a sec because anybody that knows me knows which line I'm going to take. Inside, on the tires. Nice. <laughs> Even if you might hit a tire? Well, you don't hit the tires. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just don't hit them. You don't touch okay. them. You just you have to have that streamline by the tires. Right, right. Fastest <laughs> place around the track. That well, for that little Nissan, it just loves the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's not the always the fastest, but it's always the shortest way around the track. Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, there are drivers out there that go below the tires, like like <laughs> they're not even there. But <laughs> well, Dem Demchuk's in. Uh, he's well, he's hit your tire. He's gone through the infield, and he yes. also raced through the infield in uh, Morden. He got hit, turned sideways, missed a scale, and was in first place by the uh, front straightaway. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. He was like that one. he was tenth at the time. Just a. <laughs> Wow. Pinned the first, nice. Yeah, he just pinned it and went through the infield, missed the missed everybody, missed the uh came off, did a jump in, and he was in first place. Oh wow. On video That's... there somewhere, just hilarious. Oh man, I'll have to check that out if I could ever see it. <laughs> um all right, number four. What do you do in the car just before you drive out of the pit stall? Belts, belts, chin strap, and then <laughs> waiting for the uh, anytime the mods go. Uh, by the, uh, the little four cylinders are usually pretty quiet. They run fairly smooth. Something wrong with the car? Did I tighten the wheels today? Like just going back of every step, that every bolt that I've touched in the last week, did I tighten mm -hmm. it? Did I double check the? How's my air pressure? Just constant. I don't know AHD or whatever. I I don't have any ABC problems. Just lots of different problems. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, and number five, which race would you consider the one that got away? Okay, I've been waiting for this. I was hoping you were <laughs> going to answer this. And I'm going to say, I don't know what year it is, but uh, Jerome was racing. Okay, he was in his yellow GT. And we put on a heck of a show. He was drafting me down the straightaway. He was bumping me coming out of the corners. And there's a Thursday night show. And last lap coming to the checkered, I led the entire race. Now, bygones being bygones, I'm not, not going to say the Dale was wrong, but <laughs> still hurts me to this day. We come to the checkered flag, and there's a dead car on the front straightaway. Oh, no. And I've got the inside line and I, uh, middle line, and he's right where I want to be. So I go up high, and I have to get off the gas to get around him. Jerome goes to the low and then I'm like, I don't know who won. Right. So I just, I took that cool down lap cause I was the checkered cause there was the white flag was out the lap before. So yeah. after the white, what comes out checkered, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a given. And if there's any problem, it's yellow checkered. Right. Yeah. Wrong. 
Yeah, right, right. Well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Not this it time. Every track's a little bit different, but so yeah. this is before transponders, before receivers. <laughs> I pulled it down to the front straight because I'm like, yeah, I got this. I led the whole thing. They got to give it to me. <laughs> right, and I, yeah, yeah. I don't see uh, Jerome anywhere, and all the cars are going off, or I can't see any cars because I went around. I did like two cooldown laps, and then because the car was running pretty hot, and I stopped right. just just by the flag stand, but just ahead of it. And the guy gives me the uh, thumbs up. I'm like, ah, oh. well, you know what? That was a pretty cool race. Right? Jerome, yeah, that was a good race. You got me. So I pull out and I go because we always had like a uh, just off to the right after you leave the track. And I sit there and the guy, one guy comes running down. He goes, the race is still on. And I'm out of my car. <laughs> I'm like, where is everybody? The race is still on. There's still two to go. What? Oh <laughs> so back God. in the car, he's doing my window net up. I'm, I'm buckling up and hitting the track. They put me tail end. Yeah. Well, you yeah. went to the pits, right? That's. The so I went to the pits, but he told me to go off the track. Uh, <laughs> no way. That right? is one that got away. Yeah, and so this is the one. So I finished the race. I get, there's wow. two laps to go so I started tail end and as soon as I seen something twicker in that flag stand I hit it <laughs> and I passed everybody coming out of corner uh, four and I went in the first corner and went, I, I thought I had a good run but the other guys had a little bit more momentum going into it and I'm like yeah. oh crap oh crap I'm not going to be able to stick it <laughs> thank you Nick Audette I'm going to turn now Bam! And off I go. <laughs> right in this door. And I'm like, you know what? I got this. And I, I think I got third or fourth. Uh, wow. And they gave it to me, but they went and talked to me after because apparently there's a <laughs> black flag waving at me. <laughs> uh -oh. But man, I just led the whole race. So that yeah, is really yeah. the one that got away. <laughs> That's crazy. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I know that there's you know, every track's different on how they do stuff. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, whatever I the decisions track. were, <laughs> I mean, whatever the decisions are, or, you know, each track has um, their own decision-making and whatever. But, you know, one of the things that uh, I know I tried to do, because there's always, so when I was in emo, this, when we updated our rules and I can't remember the track rules, 08, 09, whenever it was the last time when we went through it all pretty hefty. Um, the discussions were in terms of that, right? Like, cause it's such a gray area in terms of how do you determine when it should be re-rate, like when the race should be stacked back up on the white flag lap. I mean, even NASCAR itself has, has had different varieties of decision-making when it comes to that white flag. And now yep. of course they've yep. stuck with the whole, you know, when the white flag comes out, the next caution, the race is over. Yeah, that wasn't always the, the case. Yeah. That wasn't always the case before, before overtime it was, you know, it finished under caution and, and so on. Anyway, yeah, just just as a baseline there. Well, as a baseline, four cylinders don't usually go into overtime. No, <laughs> right. just saying. So, I'm just gonna so throw we, that out there. Yeah, yeah, you're sure. <laughs> so you um, could have gave the race up, or you could have yeah, exactly. communicated and, to the driver better. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's where. So one of the things that we we had decided upon all those years ago could be different now, uh, is that if, if it was a heat race and the white flag waved, then automatically doesn't matter where the cars were 
that's if the caution comes out, that's the race is over. And then in the feature stuff, it was set up where, okay, if the leader or half, if more than half the, or if the entire field has entire field has grabbed the white flag and the leaders on the backstretch or has completed more than half that lap and the caution comes out in turn one or two, then it's a caution checkered flag. Exactly. So basically half the, <laughs> half the white flag would have to be completed in order for it to be uh, a completed race. Otherwise, if it was like everyone piled into turn one on the white flag, then yep. you would restart it because they weren't halfway done that lap. So like every track is a little bit different, but I've, I've found that that's, that's one way to do it that might help balance out that. Not when you're, you know, when you're coming to the checkered flag and uh, you cross that line, that's where it's not not just passing. You had to throw (laughs) your car sideways as you're going full out and you're passing this guy and looking over to see where Jerome was. And he's dragging you on the other side. Right, right. <laughs> Just saying that. Yeah, yeah. No, That's it's, funny. Uh, I, it's you can, I, I'm sure you can just you can still picture it like perfectly. You know, yeah. You can still yeah. see that exactly. Oh, I can. Like Jerome was behind me. Yeah. <laughs> Until that car, because I, because if you've ever seen Jerome run trucks, Pierce, yeah. he doesn't quite do it as much in his mod anymore. But if he's on you and he wants to pass you. He'll give you about a half dozen taps going into the corner and out of the corner to, just to get you off your line. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he styled himself after the Intimidator for a little while. There. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah. bump up. If you're so yeah. fast, pass me, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even have to. <laughs> no, because I left the track. <laughs> Such so, a, oh, I had the whole race. It doesn't matter now, but it yeah, really no, no. it's funny to it's funny to look back <laughs> on it though. So oh, I yeah. just we don't have much time left, Jim. But one of the questions that uh, Eric and I wanted to kind of ask uh, dur- for this interview was, what are your thoughts on uh, the four cylinder class uh, in our region? Uh, where would you like to see it go? Um, and, and in terms of the sport as a whole. Uh, what are your expectations uh, in the future in terms of, of involvement in the sport, the community, uh, et cetera? If answer it in any way you like in, in that concept. Do I have a time limit? Uh, <laughs> you, you have about five to seven minutes. Okay. Uh, for solar class, uh, it is a passion of mine. I've been doing it for many years. As you know, I was for solar driver up probably for 18 years after uh, like Nick did that took over when Derek Pollock gave it up because he was just mm-hmm. taking it at the beginning. So I got a real passion for it. It is the, it's, <laughs> you guys can hate me or not, but it is such a head of every other race car out there just for running of the engine, overhead cam, twin cam, fuel injected. Like the, there's so much more than an old carburetor. I know there, and, <laughs> don't get after me on that. But this is fuel injected cars. They don't even know how to. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> the racetracks don't know how to tech the cars. Right. Uh, no offense, Anthony, but your track is doing great. And I commend you for it because the most very important thing to do in any class is safety. Make sure these cars are safe to be on there. Make sure the guy's got a head on his shoulders 
and he doesn't have an improper cage. Make sure all that safety stuff is. We all have to go and work. And like uh, you guys have said in your past shows, it doesn't matter how fast you go. It's that sudden stop that's going to take you out. So going back to forest owners, uh, I think it is the only way. And I was at a car show. Like we just, uh, for my students, they said there's a car show at Walmart. I haven't seen so many cars at a car show. Like, And this is. There's kind of a little bit more open. We walked through real quick, but uh, I could probably count on one hand how many muscle type cars. Like I'm 47 years old, so I know what a muscle car is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one hand, I could count the Mustangs and the Challenger. Everything else was Subaru, Honda. Like that's the next generation of racing. Not to take away from all the other class, because each has their very strong uh, field. But let's take a look at the, like, Eric, you're probably one of the younger racers in these classes, minus my daughter and a few uh, few people like that. But how old are you, Eric? 32? Yeah. And you're a young racer. Where are you going to get these people to replace Right. So there's got to be something you have to have your feeder class, pure stock. And <laughs> I won't even get into it, but I'm not going to get into pure stock ever because I'm doing the same lap times. Right. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so to spend five to ten thousand dollars on a pure stock to run the same lap and run at the back of the pack. No, thanks. Mm-hmm. Trucks really intrigue me and maybe but I just can't see getting out of the force on their front wheel drive. Um, I think it's a very good class and it's got the same problem and i've been watching uh something to uh, keep your thoughts on front wheel drive discussion i've been watching that over the uh, uh winter and he's a asphalt track uh racer on the front wheel drive fully modified tuned uh, uh tuned computers pretty much like the Perdonics have built mm-hmm. uh in his, his last little honda there he's yeah. the one that went down there to those dirt tracks and raced against these guys but he's doing a program and he does it weekly it's a kind of a neat thing that he's doing and the last month he's been stressing safety he went to uh the big racer uh with all the NASA. yeah bristol they had yeah. the forest owners right all the way up and they had to turn cars away from that show like it, it just but the the biggest problem, um, and don't take offense, Anthony, the class is not respected. Mm-hmm. Even though I have talked and I've been sitting in these drivers meeting over the last few years, and the veteran drivers, yeah, the four cylinders wrecked the track. Yeah, their tires are too skinny. La la la, right? Whatever. But the veteran drivers that have been running modifieds for years is like the four cylinders don't wreck the track. You know what they do? They tear up the f- top few inches. We pack it back down, and now you got a racing surface because the f- top layer isn't sticking anyhow. <laughs> so I think it's a great feeder class. Uh, hopefully, the new owners will think about that too. I know the car count has really dwindled, but they've really taken a kicking in the last 10 years about. Uh, I remember going back when they, okay, aluminum race seats, uh, Snell helmets, right? As soon as they did that, everybody in the four-cylinder class had everything up to date. And the street stock drivers at the time showed up and their helmets were out of date. So we were lending them our helmets so they could go finish the night. Like it's such a unique 
each each division has its unique qualities but it's just a give 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 help each other out and i don't know how many guys have helped that have beaten me over the years i helped them out getting the car running and going and they beat me in the race that's what racing's about to me um as you know i don't have a whole lot of wins but i'd rather see good tight racing door to door racing in our class as opposed to somebody running away with it it can't be very much fun running away with it um so there there's many avenues that you can go with these guys running down in the states uh, uh like like Perdonics, like Perdonics, they build good stuff like they really do mm-hmm. their quality is amazing um that would probably be the next step in uh, if you, first you got to get the car counts up that's that's a no-brainer you have a stock class which i'd probably stay in because they just can't afford to be spending five to seven thousand dollars on a motor plus your tuning plus your dynoing like that's that's huge money for Mm me um but uh here and there so you could have the stock class which is running throughout the states and southern ontario and then you have the open modified force on their mostly front wheel drive like uh racing against these mustangs down in greenbush which i'd love to get down there again but uh we'll wait for the border but they you can count the firing order as they're sitting there idling and staging yeah <laughs> like yeah they're pretty nasty yeah they're nasty yeah. they're quick but they're fun to race against and they have screw jacks in all four corners they got racing coils all the way around and i've got this 1992 uh, nissan nx 2000 that i bought from calgary for three hundred dollars mike went and i took a weekend went and drove it put a seven-day permit on it uh 10 years ago and drove it back caged it and i've been racing it since with that same engine with three hundred thousand kilometers on it <laughs> it's crazy wow <laughs> so yeah I, so, I think you're i think you're right that you know it, it's a very important like, feeder class uh you know you've got to keep drivers the the pool of drivers is always going to be a pyramid right yeah there's going to be more guys you need more guys at the bottom because as guys go to move up there's guys who aren't going to move up and they're just going to quit that's yeah, just the way it goes. You can't you can't race forever. It, it's not the way it works, and, and a lot yeah, of guys can't race for very long. Yeah. <clears throat> so you know it's important. If you have and, kids that are interested in, or kids that have been raised at the racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you, <wanna get> <laughs> you don't have yeah. a fighting chance. To you stay get in the kicked car. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's important because if you uh, and the thing is, if you know, say this, say one season a track says, you know what, screw the four cylinders, they're slow whatever we don't want them here anymore right and they they say that they make that decision yeah the thing is they're not going to see that drop off in new drivers right away it's going to take three four five years years, but then once it happens you are seriously behind the eight ball to start getting drivers back now yep and how do you get them hooked into a like what's what's the crate motors are going for for your trucks five thousand yeah right which is five grand which is cheap compared to the old engine packages but I can also send my Nissan motor in and spend five grand on it. You That's could, true. well, you could, you could build a whole four <laughs> cylinder for five grand. You could have it race ready. Like, yeah. Right? So if, yeah, I yeah, think so that it's important to have something at that level. Cause not everybody's going to go headlong and, and spend $20,000 to build a, a race truck yeah. or something. And then find out maybe it's not really for them or maybe it's not really mm-hmm. what they want to do. Yeah. So, like, and, and we're seeing that in, in Kenora already, even in the pure stocks, but like even the four cylinders, you know, the amount of interest of people wanting to get a car or a second car, 
Um, yep. You know, I got one example of someone who just started racing this past summer and now their kid, you know, bought another car for his kid yep. who's yep. 15 or 16 and wants to run them both. And I know there's other people that want to have uh, a friend of theirs or another sibling or whatever. It just comes down to work commitment sometimes. But like I, you know, I look at the the number we had at the the last race of the year in Kenora and I think six of the 10 cars or yeah, six of them were from Kenora and the, the year before it was two. So I I expect eight to 10 possibly this summer from local here. So that's just a great sign because they are affordable to get into. You can get a, at least one to get you out on the track turnkey for, you know, 1500 to $2,000 or a little bit more. If you want something that's a little bit more competitive or a little bit newer um, for 2,500, three at the most. So it's, it's not a huge commitment, but Hey, you're out there having fun. And like Kenny Wallace, I brought this up before he said, doesn't matter what you're racing. As long as he's racing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing that from uh, Lynn Luckin. Everybody knows yeah. Lynn Luckin. And he goes, Jim, man, I don't know how this guy remembers everybody's names. He goes to so many racetracks. He just, hey, Jim, how's it going? Yeah. Hey, Lynn, how, I didn't know you talked to four cylinders. <laughs> and yeah, and, that, and he's yeah. not that guy. He's He didn't care uh, who you were. He, he loved everybody. He was the best. Yeah, I miss that guy. Really guy yeah. we, we need more senior people like that instead of this tunnel vision so i'm hoping that like anthony's got it right like if the track's listening bring out the uh i know the teching or not the teching but the timing and score sheets and everything if you can have two per team something like that for four cylinders and peers you're gonna see the ramifications of uh, uh well the neon guys i can't remember their names but they showed up with one neon, then they showed up with two neons. Now mm. they got a B mod. Now they got a pure stock. I'm like, there's still two more guys, so I'm not sure what they're going to be driving this year because <laughs> yeah. they started with six guys with one car. Right. Yeah, and I it's just it, it's great. Yeah. Like yeah. Eric and Jerome, they didn't show up with a car each. Uh, McRae's did not show up with a car each. Like the names that are in the upper classes, and I say that nicely. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, they had to start somewhere, and oh, yeah. if if they didn't, if uh, Eric and Jerome and McRae's didn't start in four cylinders, would they have had that interest? So maybe maybe Jerome's uh, Jerome and Eric maybe more because their dad was racing, but right. Johnny stopped racing years ago when he had kids. Then now the kids are old enough, and then he bought a car, then he bought another car, then he bought another car, right? Yeah. And then yeah. they went into trucks, and now they're still in pure stock and A mods. That happens. Because they have to start somewhere, and without that, right. without that addiction, because that's really what it is. Oh, yeah. And the like we had talked about the community. First, you go racing. Now you have a community. Yeah. Now it's a life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they, you know, you know, you know how it is, right? The first yeah. step to make someone hooked on racing is either one to make them a fan. You have to take them to a race. Yeah. Number two, if you want them to become a race car driver, you got to get them in the seat. Yeah. And not and everybody's there. No, not everybody's right. there for a driver, but we always need pit crew. Yeah. 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 That, yeah exactly. And doesn't matter as a four cylinder to a late model, unless you're having a special, they all pay the same at the back gate. That's right. Yeah. So. 
All right. Well, I think we're out of time, Jim, but thank you so much for being on this podcast, Bench Racing Radio, and, and really getting some uh, four-cylinder perspective. Really appreciate your time and some really great stories. And it's great to actually get to know you a little bit more in your background. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, we really appreciate it. Uh, it. It's great to get that. You know, it's the grassroots level. Like I said, the journeyman guy, you, you've stayed in that class and you've you've helped it succeed and you've helped write the rules and you've helped do all kinds of things to to keep it around and uh and and i agree with you that i I think it needs to come back stronger because it's it's really important and i I thank you for all the work you're doing on that yeah if people are getting into it in the area and they need some advice building a car just go pit beside you go pit beside (laughs) me yeah i'll tell you you what what works for me um and if you're building a car now and you need some advice give me a phone call give mike demtracker rep a uh uh dingle and we'll both meet you there and tell you how what you need what you need to do that's awesome and i've done that for years and i don't know how many times i've told my wife i'm just gonna go yeah i'll see you late tonight (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna go look at a car make sure he's doing it right yeah okay so (laughs) i'll be in bed when you get home and she usually is All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jim. We're looking forward to seeing you this summer. Hopefully, once things start getting going here, we'll see you and your daughter racing once again in 2021. And that about does us all here at Bench Racing Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. And we'll catch you next time on Bench Racing Radio. Thanks for listening to Bench Racing Radio. Like and follow our social media handles. Facebook at Bench Racing Radio. Twitter at Bench Racing Rat 1. Or Instagram at Bench Racing Radio.